Thank you very much. It's uh, a complete joy to be here today. I love your church. You know what I love about you particularly is everybody's allowed to be different. Sometimes you go into a church and it's like everybody's conformed and it becomes very um, dull, but I love the fact there's so much freedom here and we absolutely adore Ben and Hanel, so it's a complete privilege to be here. Thank you. Um, So the really discerning among you will have already worked out. I'm going to speak about worrying. And people have often said to me that um, there are seasons where everything goes wrong and you have stuff to worry about, and then there are seasons where it's all fine. And I have to say to you, I don't think that's true. I haven't found any season where I haven't found something I can worry about. And actually, when it's really bad, there's always something that's good as well. So if you're somebody who's inclined to worry, like me, you could worry full-time throughout your entire life. And uh, so when Ben said to me I could speak about anything, I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity for me to do a little homework on how to break a bad habit. So if it's all right with you, I'm, I'm going to start off with by telling you one of my many stories in which I find myself worrying. And on this story... Um, James, my husband, and I had gone over to France. All his family had gathered there for a sort of reunion in the summer, and it was wonderful, and we had a delicious lunch, and then James and I went to walk it off for a lovely good good country walk. And uh, there we were in the middle of nowhere, green pastures, birds flying overhead, and then I hear this sound, a bit like a deep throat mosquito. And I'm going, where, where is that coming from? And we look around anywhere and can't see anything. And then it gets louder and louder. And then I see this small dot coming overhead, getting bigger and bigger. And finally, it's just about overhead and I can see it. And it looks pretty much like a tricycle. Do we have a, a, a picture of my tricycle? Wonderful. It looks like a tricycle with a kite stuck on the top and a fan on the back as the motor. And apparently they're called microlights, and they look like something like this. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. There's no way that should stay in the sky. But anyway, there it was. And um, I said to James, my goodness, I bet you get a really good view from up there. And he seemed quite surprised. And he said, have you never been in one? Oh, it's amazing. You can see for miles. And I was thinking in my head, only a lunatic would go up in one of those things. Of course I haven't. And he was thinking in his head, oh my goodness, she'd love it. What a perfect opportunity to buy her a surprise gift. I didn't know anything about that at that point. So I continued merrily on my walk and we had a lovely rest of the walk. The next day at lunch, he proudly announced to the entire family, guess what? I bought a surprise for Janie and I bought her a microlite flight for tomorrow. And everybody was really enthusiastic about it. Everybody except for me. And I was like, obviously, I thanked him very much. Thank you so much for being so generous. And what a lovely husband to think about me. And I'm really grateful. But I'm afraid I'm going to have to decline because I get vertigo. And there's no way I'm going up in that thing. And the entire family gathered around to tell me how, oh, don't worry, they're really safe and the pilot's very experienced and there'll be no problem. And I tried very, 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 very hard to decline. But the more that I tried to decline, the more enthusiastic they were until they decided half of them were going to come and see me on my launch. This 
is the point at which I decided to start worrying. From that moment, my stomach started churning. And no matter how I tried to think about other things, the only thing I could think about is me, a strawberry jam on the floor, and everybody gathered around discussing what had gone wrong with the flight. I didn't sleep a wink, I couldn't eat anything, and I felt nauseous. The next day, the dreaded hour arrived, and we drove off in convoy to the airstrip. Uh, the airfield, I discovered, was quite literally that, a field. And somebody had taken a lawnmower and mown a strip through the middle of it, and that was the runway. Parked at the end of this strip was the microlight. So we all gathered around it, and the pilot strapped a helmet on my head and then strapped me into this flying contraption, patted me on the back and said we were good to go. Everybody was very excited. They all backed off a little bit and oohed and aahed as we made our way bumpily down the runway, me holding on to the frame, holding my breath and praying very loudly in tongues as we jolted up the thing. And then it's like... And I'm like... And by the time I opened my eyes, we were up above the houses and the trees. And I looked down at my overexcited entourage, who looked like little tin soldiers below me and were waving madly at me. And the pilot was so kind. He took me out over the fields. We went over the forest. We went to a trip to go over the house where we were staying. And then we went out over the sea and we saw the Mont Saint-Michel, which is a little island that's just off the coast near where we were staying. And um, in case any of you don't believe that this is true, this is what I'm talking about. That is me on the back seat clinging to the frame, because obviously if I let go of the frame, we'd drop out of the sky. He asked me to wave, wave with one hand free. I said, no thanks. And that little splodge down in the corner, that's the Mont Saint-Michel. We were high. The views were extraordinary. I was shaking, I was clenched, and I was praying. If anybody's prayer life is ever a bit dodgy, I recommend going up on that because that'll ignite it. Anyway, we then came down... I won't discuss what was the flight was like. I can tell you by the time we ground to a halt, I was shaking so much I couldn't stand up. My entourage, they were beyond themselves. They all came flocking around our little microlight, cheering and clapping. Oh, they said, you must have had so much fun. <laughs> fun? I had a near-death experience. But the thing is... It was an incredible opportunity. In truth, the views up there were spectacular. I was very spoiled to be bought such an incredible present. And if I hadn't thought of it as a near-death experience, I could probably have enjoyed it. But the thing is, the worry squashes all the fun out of life. And um, being a lifelong warrior... That's what I have found. I've wasted way too much time on worrying about things and not actually enjoying the good things that are going along at the time. And the thing is, I know I'm not alone. Did you know that in the UK alone, anxiety and stress accounted for NHS beds being occupied by, wait for it, 165,800 days last year at a cost to the taxpayer of 71.1 million pounds. Worry is a national epidemic. 
And actually, I would like to say, I think it's far more dangerous to our faith than we actually give it credit for. And that's why I wanted to do a little bit of research to myself to see if I could uh, stop the habit of a lifetime. And my talk, like any good football match, is going to come in two halves. The first half I have entitled imaginatively, Worry is Bad. And in this half, I am going to discuss four reasons why I believe worry is so bad for us. And then in the second half, we're going to move on to God is good. And in that half, I'm going to talk about what we can do to combat this uh, terrible affliction. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. Here we begin. Worry is bad. So in this section, as I said, I want to talk about four reasons why I think it's seriously bad for us. The first is, I touched on already, is it is unhealthy. Unhealthy. Something that uh, never occurred to me until I researched this topi- topic is that worry is not natural to us. Worry is not something that God intended us to do. And therefore, he has not equipped our bodies, minds, or spirits to cope with it. So in Eden, which is life on earth as it should be, Adam and Eve were not worrying. Because why would you worry if you'd got God Almighty living with you and he can fix anything and he loves you? What are you going to find any energy worrying about? It's not till the fall that fear, worry and anxiety um, came into play. And that was because God was no longer with his people. So we need to realize that worry is not natural to the human condition. Stress and anxiety therefore have a seriously destructive impact on our bodies and can lead to many different issues, including muscle tension, breathing and digestive problems, skin disorders, migraines, ulcers, increased blood pressure and heart attacks. And that's just a few on the list. After my little flight, my body ached and it took me days to unache because I'd clenched myself so tightly throughout the flight and it took my stomach a week to recover after being so stressed. And anxiety has the same destructive, destructive effect on our mental health as well and it causes, amongst other things, depression, anxiety, self-harm, eating disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorders, suicidal thoughts, and panic attacks. That is why hospital beds are so full of worriers. Our bodies and minds are not designed to be able to cope with worry. So, do we all agree? The first reason worry is bad is it isn't healthy. The second reason I would like to suggest that worry is bad is it is pointless. Jesus asks, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Worry is a a waste of precious time, energy, and emotion. Because when we worry, we do not do anything that improves the situation. The only changes stress will make are negative. The minute we start fretting, our, our day is likely to take a downhill turn. And for me, this meant before going up on the, on the flight, I wasted an entire day and a half of my holiday worrying. Then when I went up on the flight, I hated every second of it because I was so busy worrying. Whereas I could have enjoyed all of that. 
It's what they call an own goal. The crazy thing is, worrying does not help. Our distress doesn't increase the chances of a desired outcome or heighten the odds of a breakthrough. It merely makes our experience of life more unpleasant. So who can remember the first reason why it's unhelpful? It's unhealthy, thank you. Ben's been listening, very good, 10 points. And it is also pointless. The third reason is it is blinding. Psalm, 12, sorry, Psalm 121 reads, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When we experience problems, they can loom over us like mountains blocking everything else from our view. And once I started to worry about the micro light flight, I wasn't able to see any of the other good things in my holiday. All I could focus on was my potential doom. And this is what worry does to us. And I've got a little demonstration, and I've got a couple of volunteers who can now skip up. Is Chris here? He's bailed. That's terrible. I can, I can only, I can only apologise. I think James is. I've beaten you to it. So, Ben, these, just in case you're my beautiful husband's artwork, you can't recognise, are the mountains of our problems, okay? So, Ben, if you could stand and you could hold them in front of you like that. Wonderful. You're doing very well. In the meantime... James, if you could just stand here, you could pop that on. I hope you're not peeking. Would you please put your problems in front of you? Unbelievable. Okay. If you could wear that. Yes. I think of it as a toga. Okay, you'll need both hands, though. You can do a cape. That's brilliant. Okay, and then could you point that at Ben? So... Ben, can I ask you, what can you see? Mountains. Oh, sorry. Lots of mountains. Can you see anything else? Snow. Anything else? No. Okay, try moving it a bit further away. What can you see now? I see a crown. I see some feet and I see a crown. Um, what's mainly in your view? The mountains. Okay, what about if we do this? You could just hold that. Just hold it down and keep that shining. Now what do you see? I see a strange man with a strange crown on his head wearing a bedsheet. I, I think what you probably mean is you see the glory of the Lord shining upon you. Is that what you, is that what you were trying to say? That's exactly what I said. Um, when you had your mountains here, how big did they seem? Huge. What else could you see? Nothing. When the mountains were here... How big did they seem? Minor. And uh, what else did you see? A strange man. No, Ben. No, Ben. What did you see? The glory of the living Lord. Shining upon me. Shining upon me. It's wonderful, isn't it? Thank you. Can we have a round of applause? Thank you very much. You are marvellous. If God ever needs a stand-in, I'm sure he'll be at your door. Right. 
The thing that's so dangerous about worry is that it puts our problems center stage, exaggerating and exacerbating them until, like the mountains, they become overwhelming and we can't see anything else. This is not how God intended our life to be. So we're going to move on to the next point. But before I do that, I'm going to see who's been listening. What was the first reason worry is unhelpful? Brilliant. Perfect. What is the second reason it's unhelpful? Very good. And the third one, one we've just done? Fantastic. Okay, the final one we're going to talk about is it strangles faith. Did you know, another little detail I discovered on researching for this, the word worry comes from the old English word rigon, which quite literally means to strangle, throttle, or choke. And I would like to suggest that the worst thing about worrying is that it throttles or chokes faith. That's why Jesus is so insistent that we don't worry. So I've been a Christian for about 30 years now, and I've seen too many Christians fail to step into their calling because of worry. And this comes in many different shapes. So for instance, I've encountered Christians who were unable to pray for somebody out loud, even though they were in great need, because they were so fearful of getting it wrong. I've known gifted communicators who have been prevented from preaching, due to anxiety that their talks won't be good enough. I've spoken to Christians paralyzed by fear when they encounter social injustice. They feel unable to stand up and make a difference because they're too afraid of the consequences of doing that. I've encountered materially rich Christians prevented from giving for fear that they won't have enough. And I myself, as I said earlier, have missed out on numerous opportunities because I frittered them away by worrying. Worry isn't only a waste of time and a waste of energy, but it's debilitating. It takes the heart out of life in all its fullness. It strangles our faith, causing us to make decisions based on fear and not on faith. If left unchecked, worry will take control of our lives, leaving us immobilized and ineffective. So there we have it. Those are the four reasons why worry is bad. Unhealthy, Pointless, blinding, and it strangles faith. Do we all agree worry is bad? My job is done. We are now moving on to section two. Well done, you've made it halfway. Actually, the second half's much shorter. Be of good cheer. The second half is God is good. So now I'm going to talk about four different steps that we can take uh, to combat the urge to worry. And the first one is take a stand. In verses 24 and 25, Jesus teaches, Nobody can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. We need to remember that worry isn't part of God's creation. Worry is a seed that is sown by the enemy, and therefore we need to treat it as such. This is a battle We need to recognize it as a battle. And when we feel the early onset of fear, we need to make a mental choice to resist the temptation to indulge it. So we need to oppose it from the get-go. Secondly, 
We need to, oh yeah, it's catchy this one. We need to don't panic, pray. Whatever your situation, however overwhelming it may seem, remember you're not alone. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Talk to him. Bring your worries to him. Bring your mountains away from your face and leave them in his hands. Or as Paul puts it in his letters to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When we worry, we are practicing atheism. When we are praying, we are practicing faith. When you hand over your mountains to God, you're taking a step of faith. And I'm not saying it's easy to do, but it's something you have to choose to do and hand over. If you're anything like me, what you'll do is this. You'll go, God, I've got these dreadful problems and I'm going to give them to you and I totally know that you're going to sort it out, but I might just take them back just in case you don't sort it out quite quick enough because I'm really, really worried about these problems. Oh no, I need to let go of them again. It can be a wrestling match, but you have to make a decision that you are going to hand them over. And I love that song that we sung earlier, that the reason that we trust God is because we've seen him act before. And a lot of us have been a Christian for a while. And forget just the Bible, but in your own lives, you've had times where God's come through for you, where it looked like it was going to be bad. But actually, our God is faithful. And you remind yourself, is if he's the same God who was faithful then... He's the same God who's faithful today. And you grab hold of it. So the first thing is, don't, first thing is take a stand. The second thing is, don't panic, pray. The third thing is, even snappier, don't worry, worship. The number one stress in our lives is not the situation we find ourselves in, but worry itself. But the good news is, worship and prayer change everything. So I remember when I was a very new Christian, I was very keen, and I went to every single prayer meeting that was going on in, in our church. And in one of those, I was uh, listening to somebody, uh, it was a husband, and he was really stressed because his wife had cancer. And he asked one of the elders how he could stop worrying so badly every day. And the elder said to him, well, in my experience, it might seem really silly, but in my experience, the thing that helps most is worship. Because when we worship God, we look at him and how strong and amazing and powerful and loving he is. And we don't focus on the problem. Because worry is like meditating. You know how it says, meditate on the word of God or meditate on the character of God and that will grow you. Worrying is meditating on the problem. How many of us have done that? You've thought, you've thought of your problem and it goes round and round in your head. You look at it from every different angle. Would it be the same if I fall out of the sky onto a tree? Would that make it all right? Would that save my fall? What if I go in the sea? Is that going to be better? You look at it from, you meditate on it. You peruse, you take a slow stroll around it and then go back again. Worry, you have, to, you have to make a stand and choose not to think about that. Choose, every time that comes into your head, you take it captive and you choose to think about how amazing your God is. And I have a question for you. If your God loves you so much that he died for you, 
Surely, isn't he trustworthy? And I'm not saying that every situation that we have turns out in a, a really amazing, just how I wanted it way. I don't think the disciples had a cozy way. He, you know, they said, uh, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I'm not saying that if we pray, God will sort it in the way that we wanted. But he promises whatever we are going through, he will never leave us on our own. He will always walk with us and he will always give us the strength we need for the situation we're in. So we just need to pray for that. We need to worship God, take our eyes off the problem and lift our worship up to the Lord. And that will help us to get the faith we need to stand firm and not worry. Interesting, I've totally ignored my notes. I'm now just coming to find where I am. Um, oh yeah, and there's a really good demonstration of what this looks like in the Old Testament, in Numbers 13. And it's the time when Moses sends the 12 people out to go and uh, look at the promised land. So they've known for some time that, that they've got this land that's been promised to them by God. They know where it is. They're now parked outside. They're in the waiting bay. And uh, they send the 12 leaders in. And their job is to go and see what's the land like and also what are the occupants like. And they come back uh, uh, full of excitement. Apparently, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they have a, 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 with grapes on it. And they carry like that. Because the grapes are so heavy. What would that be? It'd be like a stick, but I'm not going to say stick. That doesn't say stick in the Bible. But you know what I'm saying. It's a huge bunch of grapes that it takes two men at least to carry. It's really full of fruit. It's good. It's lush. But they say the people who are living there are ginormous. They're like giants. And um, the, more, the majority of the scouts focused on the size of the enemies and recommended that under no circumstances that they take a step into the promised land. Even though God had promised it to them, it was too dangerous. And this is what they say. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the poor people we saw of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So they basically said, no way, Jose, we're not going in there. Only Caleb and Joshua focused on the size of their God and not the size of their problem, and this is what they say. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we'll devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. When we have a problem, we will always be met with a choice of whether we want to look at our problem from a worldly perspective, and that is where we see how big our problem and how, how unsolvable it is, or whether we do it from a godly perspective, and we know that no matter how big our, God, our problem is, God is so much bigger, like the mountains put in his hands, they look minuscule compared to God. There's nothing that our God cannot do. Jesus teaches... So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As far as worry is concerned, the battle is in the brain. We need to choose to focus on the promise of God and not on the fear induced by the enemy. So, who can remember the first thing we need to do when we feel worry coming on? Take a stand, very good. Number two, what should we not do and what should we do? Very good. And thirdly? Very good. Okay. And finally, choose faith, not fear. Worry chokes our faith and causes us to make decisions based on fear. Faith, on the other hand, teaches us to take risks for God. To do things that we couldn't possibly do in our own strength, like battling giants, walking on water, or growing his kingdom. If we don't want worry to take over um, and take us out of the fight, when we feel that it's threatening to take hold of our hearts, we need to pray for faith. Because you remember, faith is a gift. It's not something you have to rustle up for yourself. But you ask God for the gift of faith. And as Jesus teaches, faith can move mountains. And nothing will be impossible for us with faith. So just going to finish by asking you if you can remember the four things you have to do if you start feeling worried. First of all, take a stand. Second of all, don't panic, pray. Third of all, don't worry, worship. And finally, choose faith, not fear. So I thought we'd just have a moment. It may be that you have something right now that you're having to face that gives you good cause to worry. Um, and you might like to, in your head, take those steps. And you could be a very fortunate person who has, can't think of a single thing you could worry about. If that's you, then I'm absolutely sure you'll know a friend who's going through a difficult time and you can spend the time praying for them. So uh, let's pray. I thank you, Lord, that you created us without the intention of worrying that your heart's desire is to be there with us, that we would know your presence and know that you are bigger than our problems. Lord, you know the situation that we're in and you know how it threatens to overwhelm. Father, we want to put your, our problems into your enormous and capable hands and to trust you. And we pray for the faith not to snatch them back out of your hands again. I pray for breakthrough today. I pray particularly for people who've been raised in families where they've been taught to fret, that that's the good way. I pray that you would break that over their lives, that they would know the freedom of being able to trust you. Just pray your blessing over them.
And Lord, forgive us where we have let fear and not faith steer our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to be a courageous people who take risks, who are courageous for you, and who find themselves walking on water against all odds, not because we're extraordinary people, but because we serve an extraordinary God. I thank you so much for this amazing group of people. I pray your blessing on them. I pray, Lord, that they would shine so brightly that many people walking in darkness would come to know you as a result of all they have done. I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage to pray for people on the streets. I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage to have words and pictures for people in the cafe. I pray, Lord, that you would make them a people after your own heart who would be led by faith and not fear. I break every chain that holds them. I pray freedom in Christ, and I pray that you would glorify them.